podcast. Before we begin, I just wanted to say thank you for all the emails you've been sending me and comments on my videos. They really help me think of ideas for the podcast, and I love hearing your feedback and reading your thoughts. I appreciate all the support you have all been giving me for my writing, and over this podcast too, despite the fact that I ramble often, or you may not agree with some of my viewpoints, which is totally okay. We're all humans with different thoughts and different experiences and perspectives, so we perceive the world differently. And so listening to ideas of others that you may not agree with, an open mind may help you better inform your arguments or even change your mind. Also, sorry if you can hear my dog in the background. He's like moaning and groaning in his old age. Um, and Discord is very important to progression, so please feel free to send me your thoughts on anything I write or say, whether it's on my Instagram, TikTok, or through this podcast. This is going to be a bit of a longer podcast today, I'm anticipating, so I think I'm going to skip over the intro thoughts today and just get right into the questions. Is one innocent worth the life of twelve guilties? The Grim Reaper asked you as you sat on a porch watching the snowfall. Cold. You felt cold from the inside out, considering the question no, your initial inclination was. No. Better to have twelve go free than one innocent in jail, unable to leave. But was that really true? I suppose it depends on what the twelve do. If they're serial killers running around, then they'll take more lives than one. It sounded heartless wrong when you said it, but it was true. You couldn't know what those twelve could do, the atrocities they could perform. They could kill so many people get away with murdering women and the marginalized quite easily. You could see how the outcome could be worse. But what about the one innocent, suffering because justice was wrong? Was sacrificing the life of one the right move? You'd be locking an innocent up as a preventative measure for a future you cannot know. Perhaps those twelve guilties will grow and do well for society. Well, that depends on if you see someone being rehabilitated. Can evil be quelled by good, or are humans somewhere in between? You've seen the human progression. Do people who kill get better, or do they remain a societal cancer? The Grim Reaper fixated its eyes on the snow. All this time I've spent guiding, and the truth is, I still don't know. The first question I wanted to address today was, how has your Irish heritage affected you? I thought it would be really interesting maybe for some people to hear about a bit about my family background. So, my heritage is Irish and Scottish. I'm Irish on both my parents' side and Scottish on my father's side. I'll just tell you about my father's grandmother since she's the, well, the most well-documented and we know the most about her. And I hope you all find it interesting. So during the Great Famine in Ireland, or as most people know it, the Potato Famine in Ireland, back in the mid-1800s, like many starving families, mine left Ireland and moved to Scotland to essentially work and eat and just to survive. And then in the 1900s, early 1900s, I think it was like 1907, my great-grandmother moved from Scotland to Philadelphia. And she came over with her two children, and then my great-grandfather came over after, and they wound up having seven children altogether, and then my great-grandfather died very young. 
and she was left to raise all the children by her house in a very cramped and small studio apartment. It was all eight of them shoved into this extremely small space. And as a woman in the 1900s, there weren't many places who would hire you. And my great-grandmother having red hair and a heavy accent was the picture-perfect Scottish-Irish woman that businesses sought to discriminate against. A lot of the time when history is taught, the Irish discrimination in the U.S. is typically left out because it's thought to not affect most um, white Irish people today, which for a very large portion is true, but I think it's important um, to discuss it because it's impossible not to be affected by our pasts and our family's history. So just for the people who don't know, I'm sure that there are a lot of people who are since there's a very large Irish population in the U.S., but the Irish were actually one of the largest groups discriminated against in the early 1900s, and it was worse if you were Catholic, which is my family's religion. There were signs on businesses that would say, no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. In fact, one of the largest populations in prison at the time were the Irish because after slavery, the way that the state could get free labor was through prison work, which is why they would find reasons to imprison African Americans specifically, and also the Irish. While the Irish didn't go through slavery in the United States, the discrimination was really, really heavy for them. And my grand great-grandmother was rejected from a lot of workplaces because of her background, and her family wound up being very, very poor. She would work three jobs in order to keep up with payments just to keep the apartment. And my grandfather told me that she would work all day and all night doing laundry and cleaning houses and any odd jobs that she could get just so that they had somewhere to sleep. And then when she came home for a few hours, she would sleep and take care of the children and sew holes in clothing because they did not have enough money to buy new clothing because they were very, very poor. He told me that there were many nights where they would just put seasoning and boil water and call it soup because they didn't have enough money to have actual meals. In fact, it wasn't until my father and specifically my generation that my family managed to climb their way to middle class. My great-grandmother almost lost the apartment they were living in at one point. All eight of them shoved into this little room. But, fun story, a random German man who lived across the hall from her decided to pay for the apartment. And my father told me that when he was younger, he saw the logbook that my great-grandmother used to keep track of all of her payments to that man in. And she would record every penny that she paid off. And she did, after years and years and years, eventually pay off the apartment through her three jobs. And then my grandfather, when he grew older actually requested that she take another mortgage out on her house so he could take a loan to start a business and he wound up running one of the most successful beer distributing companies in Philadelphia. Now you're probably wondering how this family idea has affected me and my background story. From a young age, it was instilled in me to that, the, that the world isn't going to help you out and you're going to have to work hard. 
My family being Irish and Catholic has felt discrimination deeply in this country. And even up until today, you hear people using derogatory terms, though not as much as some other um, major minorities, not saying that I'm a minority, but um, they'll say things like Irish twins or Irish whore, which are both, you know, derogatory slang. I think it's, for the most part, my past has affected me in a positive way, though. I know that I might have to work ten times harder than perhaps my male counterparts, but that doesn't mean that I have to worry, because if my great-grandmother can work three jobs and keep an apartment and raise seven children on her own in a time where women were seen as lesser and had absolutely no rights in this country, then I certainly can in today's day and age, where I'm lucky enough to not have nearly that amount of discrimination, whether through sexism or through my heritage or my religion. And a lot of that's because of my family's work ethic. I've been able to grow up middle class. And it's never been lost on me that my family came from nothing. That they had nothing, that they starved in a small little apartment in Philadelphia, and they still had to work their way through heavy discrimination. I'm grateful for America in that way, that the American dream does exist. And while I'm aware that I'm white and I have skin privilege, and a lot of minorities don't have that in the U.S. today. I do know that my family did know what discrimination was and that it was possible to end and work past it. And we still have a long way to go for minorities in this country, but I, I do have the hope that we will get there. And also from a very young age, it was instilled in me to take nothing for granted because my family, they haven't had anything. They, they didn't have anything. The very fact that I don't have to worry about food on the table is something that for generations my family didn't have. All of it's made me work harder as a person to be better, to achieve greater than the lines drawn in front of me. I'm grateful to have that background that I have and discrimination or not, it's made me better and more appreciative of the life that I have now. I know the blessings I've been gifted and I thank God every day for them. I know that was a really long answer, and you learned a lot about my family background, but I hope that answered your question. So the next question I received today is actually a two-part question. The first is, what is your favorite coffee to drink? And the second is, does anybody know about your unheard words persona, or do you keep it a secret? So my favorite coffee is hazelnut coffee, although I do love a mocha every once in a while. I really only drink hot coffee since I'm cold 90% of the time. It could be 90 degrees out and everyone's sweating and dying and then there's me just in the corner like, oh my god, I'm finally warm. Yes! I, I've, I am always cold. If you came up to me and shook my hand, it's an ice box. And there's probably some science behind why I like warm drinks so much and why they make me so happy inside. But I always opt for warm drinks. I'm not sure what that science is. Uh, they make me physically happy. That could be a placebo effect where I'm like, oh, it's going to make me happy, so it makes me happy. But maybe that maybe that's an actual thing. And if it is, let me know about it because I want I want to know. <laughs> As for your question about my unheard words persona, nobody knows that I do this. My family knows that I've been published in a few anthologies under my real name, but they've 
they don't know that I've ever taken my poetry seriously. They think it was just, you know, a hobby that I did. Um, and I got some stuff published, and now I'm focused on law. And they know that I post some TikToks, but they also don't know the name. And they also don't know to the extent to which my TikTok blew up. I know that in the scheme of TikTok, like when you have Charlie D'Amelio, who has, what, like one hundred million followers or something that 16,000 doesn't sound like a lot but it's an incredibly high number for someone who wrote and no one wanted to read their work so to have people following me is unreal unbelievable and I, I, I never really know how to express how grateful I am and I, I definitely don't say it enough so thank you for for everything, for all the support. I wish there was something else I could do to show how grateful I am besides repeat it 10,000 times, but I'll keep repeating it because I will never stop being grateful for it. And there's actually a reason why I don't tell people, tell anyone about this podcast or my TikTok in real life. And it's because I post incredibly vulnerable things on my TikTok. It's who I really am as a person. I lay myself bare in those poems, so to know that a family member or friend listens wouldn't allow me to write as freely as I am. I would feel like I needed to censor myself. I started posting TikToks for two purposes. One was entirely selfish, and that was to be able to put all of my feelings out there both positive and negative, to get them out of my head. And the other was to hopefully make people feel less alone if they have dark thoughts, or at least give people a place to go if they want to vent or just be themselves. To get out of all those negative feelings or emotions so that they can go about their day. Happy people make the world a more beautiful place to live. But humans cannot be happy all the time. So if anyone ever feels sad or upset or lonely... I want them to be able to come to my page, as odd as, as odd as that may sound, and know that their feelings are okay. And as humans, we're all stumbling around wildly, and it's not beautiful all the time. In the age of social media, where we look at all these perfect people, often I want to show a place of reality where, hey, I'm imperfect, and it's not beautiful all the time. I hope one day my page can be a place of forgiveness for both myself and others who don't feel like they're perfect enough, and to let themselves know that not being perfect is fine. In the words of Cody Fry in his song, I Hear a Symphony, our flaws are who we really are. I think flaws are unique, and though conformity is pushed in society, it's those on the outskirts that I find the most appealing. And I hope that my page can encourage some people to be themselves as messy and unique as they are. And to project who they really are. And it's almost hypocritical of me, if I'm being honest, that I don't do the same in real life. I'm a coward in that way. But I'm, I'm working on it. My trauma has bound me in a lot of ways when it comes to expression. And I'm trying to unwind it, but it's going quite slowly. I know that 
people will listen to me and I, I hope that they move faster than me so that they can one day look back on my dark poems on my page and think I can't relate to those anymore and I think that would be my greatest wish to have all the darkness inside me that no one understands because they're all living lives without it I'll get out of my bindings one day and it might take a while but I think that's okay for some humans to move at a slower pace than others and believe it or not having this TikTok at all has been me improving because prior it was just me inside myself and I wasn't getting any better and now I feel like I am so the next step would be to show other people that and that might take me a while and I hope you all move there ahead of me and I hope one day I can meet you on the other side and not be able to relate to my poems anymore either but until then I think I want to keep this a secret at least I can finally until I can finally embrace who I am um, and show the world at least to my close family and friends who I haven't been able to yet but I need to find my own bravery first for that and I haven't I haven't found it yet thank you all once again for listening and joining me this week if you would like to send in your questions, you can email me them at unheardwordspoetry at gmail.com. My Instagram is unheardwordspoetry. My TikTok is unheardwords. And if you want to give me any of your feedback or comment on any of my videos, I love reading them. I read every single one of them. I really appreciate you guys being here with me every week and continuing to support me on all the social media that I have. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I will see you next week. Bye, guys.